You're listening to The Big Lift, the podcast of Web Trends Optimize, the CRO solution that enables marketers and developers to maximize the ROI on their digital properties. Web Trends Optimize is a powerful, feature-rich, and easy-to-use solution, all delivered within a fixed-price contract with no additional cost for increased functionality ever. During these podcasts, we meet some of the key influencers within the marketing and conversion world to understand their roles and examine their challenges. The importance of customer experience has never been more paramount. A recent PwC report found that 32% of users will walk away from a brand they love following a single negative experience. So today I'm talking with Oliver Walker, co-founder and managing director of Hookflash Analytics, about how to build a conversion engine that concentrates on building better engagement to ensure higher levels of customer satisfaction. Ollie. Why Hook Flash? Why the name Hook Flash, first of all? Oh, it's a, that's a, an interesting uh, question, actually. Um, and the short answer is that there, there isn't anything too clever behind it. Um, we, were, we embarked on setting up the company, and you start with the company name, get all the exciting bits um, up front, and uh, we toyed with, do we go with something uh, really clever, you know, play on words, do we uh, you know, go and try into old Latin or Norse English and try and find a word that means insights or mm-hmm. impact? And we thought, actually, you know what, let's try and do this as quickly as possible. There's a lot of, there's <laughs> a lot of things that we need to do. And um, at the end of the day, if the name is, is reasonably snappy and memorable, 80% of people will say, that's rubbish anyway, but use it. Um, and it, it, it was one <laughs> of the co-founders. Um, their uh, father had actually... Um, been a consultant and had the, their own company uh, called Hookflash quite a long time ago now um, and uh, the company had been dissolved and they're no longer using it and, and he just said what about something like Hookflash two words kind of snappy syllables that go together and as I said it's reasonably memorable and uh, myself and one of the other co-founders actually just said well shall we go with Hookflash any objection there so it's a little bit of a, of a homage to um uh, his dad, who's no longer with us, um, and as I said, it meant that we didn't spend too long uh, debating clever names that would later become a bit unwieldy to use if you had different services or, or change your um, your mission statement. It's it's quite interesting that you say that because I was reading your, as I say, reading your LinkedIn um, profile the other day, and it said that you did a dissertation on the effect of recognition heuristics in guided decision making. Yeah, I would have thought you'd probably spend a bit more time on the on the title if you thought it was going to be the one that was going to be recognised more frequently. Well, that is that is something. As I say, I think you can tend to overthink these things. So that 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 rec- the um, importance of recognition. Uh, was my undergraduate thesis, yes, and it was uh, effectively me going down the street and giving people pairs of names um, and asking who they thought was richer uh, from memory. And I would choose a kind of low, low red um, celebrity and some business titan that you kind of have never heard of. Um, and uh, and people thought that the names they'd heard of had had more money. So. Um, that that did show that did show uh, an impact, um, but as I said, I think with the naming of, of businesses, you can you can spend a lot of time overthinking it. And even since we have set up Hookflash and we've started to become partners, you know, with organisations like yourselves and others, um, and then you go and look at those partner pages and you think, why didn't I call myself Aardvark Analytics and be right at the top, <laughs> um, I'm right in the middle here? And uh, as I say, yeah, I think you have got to just accept that it's a um, in the grand scheme of things, as long as people uh, remember your name, 
and it gives you the flexibility to uh, add add disciplines in and um, and change what you may do then you can tick a box there because you went on from reading um reading university to bangor university and did consumer psychology is that correct yes that must help an awful lot in what you're doing now yes well it certainly led me it's a kind of cyclical it led me to where i am and it also has uh some impact still to what we what we do um at hook flash and what i have done in my career so it was the first um and only consumer di- psychology degree at the time um so I'd, as you said mm-hmm. i had done a psychology degree uh, reason that i didn't really want to be a psychologist uh in the clinical mm-hmm. sense but didn't really know what i wanted to do but I had been exposed to some interesting experiments uh that was happening in in real life in stores so there's lots of research um around the psychology of store layouts you know everyone's familiar with the fact that mm-hmm. there's chewing gums at the checkout but things like the supermarkets will change the size of floor tiles down higher ticket aisles so that the trolley itself will move a lot more so you have to go slower down those aisles and browse the TVs or, or whatever the more expensive items are uh-huh. or the other one that I remember is uh, an interesting experiment where the um, again a different supermarket played music down the wine aisle and they were interested to understand whether that music they played impacted the wine that was bought and they found a pretty strong correlation actually so if they played Spanish mm. music then Spanish wine was bought at a greater rate than normal and the same was seen I think for French and German music as well so I I, I uh had this view of you know understanding what people do and obviously psychology is all around the behavior of people so um yeah Bangor was the first university to offer a consumer psychology and business degree and it, and it did blend those two core competencies so there was a few modules borrowed from the business school around marketing principles and, and business management and a few of the standard psychology ones around uh, research and statistics which again have a kind of nice tie in now with with testing and then the pure consumer psychology um, modules were very much focused around um, nudges and persuasive techniques and things that resonate better with consumers and even going down to um, to color and there's a neuroscience module that that was very much focused on um, the the visual cues that you can use to try and drive attention, try to drive action. Um, and so, although it was quite a long time ago now, um, so uh, A, I'm not sure if all of that uh, still stands up, um, but certainly it led me to the world that we're in. I, I start, was, when I came out of that degree and was talking to recruiters, I was aware that this fanciful job I had experimenting in supermarkets was quite hard to find, not least because I didn't know what it was called. And I still don't <laughs> know what it's called, actually. Yeah. Um, but uh, people, the recruiters at the time were saying, well, actually, a lot more of the investment is going into the online world and you, and you can do some of this sort of experimentation um, or you certainly can get a lot of data about what's happening and you can use that to uh, understand what users like and what users don't like and where there may be potential opportunities to impact that behaviour and help their journey. So... As I say, it led me to it, and and yeah, we do still use plenty of those persuasive techniques um, in in our tests today. So, basic question: Why do you believe that customer experience is so important? Well, the customer experience—I uh, mean, effectively, it encapsulates a brand's relationship with uh, their website visitors, their customers, their potential customers, um, and. To deliver a great customer experience is also quite difficult to do. 
Uh, and of course, what mm-hmm. that means is that if you can do it right, then you have a big opportunity and you can you can win. Um, and there's been lots of studies. So I think uh, I referenced one in in um, a, a blog piece recently. Uh, around a third of users will walk away from a brand if they have a particularly poor experience, even if they love that brand. And there's a lot of those other 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 stats around that impact there. And Accenture have done a lot of work in this space, and um, a lot of research suggests that customers want brands to adapt quicker to meet their needs they want to feel like uh, brands they engage with understand them and everyone knows the the stats around how much more expensive it is to win a new customer than to keep an old one and the fact that those existing customers tend to spend more as well so the first point there is that it's just a really big opportunity you know the more personal you are and the more you treat people as a person with an understanding of previous interactions and, and start to respond accordingly, then you've got a big opportunity there to, to build strong relationships. And the other part of that is that the customer experience um, is not just important from a, a, a customer perspective now. The big search engines have recognized that it's a, a really important uh, aspect of a good website and so they have increasingly started to reward uh, websites in this instance specifically um, that load quicker um, that provide a a better customer experience um, in order for the user to find what they're looking for so so that has actually really um, added fuel to the fire of the importance of, of customer experience and then as i say that there's just an incredible number of brands that could be doing more in this space and particularly more in the way that uh, users are seen across channels. And so I, I've I always talk about uh, this concept of symmetrical messaging or this idea of a user that finds a brand or wants to go to the brand's website through a particular channel and then they land on a landing page. And that experience can either be incredibly smooth and seamless the user clicks on something yeah. and they land and they get what they expect, or it can be really clunky. And it's, it really surprises me that how frequent that, that still is. And we have a, a client who, just before we started working with them, I signed up to their newsletters and, uh, uh, and started to immerse myself a little bit in the brand, um, got an email from them. And, and the email was just saying that a particular color was the new color for this product that they had. Um, and I thought, great, let's see what happens when I click through. Click through to a product a listings page with a relatively small number of products, about eight products on there. And one of them was preset to be the color in question. And some of them didn't even have that color variant available. And so as a user, it just feels very um, incongruous. It doesn't feel smooth. So there's such a big opportunity there that, that I guess I say, if companies who can start to take strides in this space will really um, start to move ahead of their competition. If I can, I'd just like to take you back a couple of minutes where you said that uh, 33% or whatever it was, a third of users will walk away from a brand they love following a negative experience. Would that be more an impactful experience or would it be an erosionable experience? So in other words, it's over two or three different engagements with that brand they get dissatisfied or are you saying that actually it could have much more impact in that they do something wrong and that's it yeah so uh, the research um in that instance spoke about a single 
poor experience and you can only imagine that that is compounded and that the number of users that would walk away if, if they get a series of bad experiences would increase but yeah it just goes to show that the expectations are very high and we talk a lot about being in the, in the expectation economy and uh, and it's difficult for brands to meet, reach those expectations but you know obviously having a plan to get there and taking um, steps to get to that point is, is really important. So having kind of said we've determined that customer experience is an important factor in not just website design but the whole experience of a customer being physical or being online does there seem to be a way of being able to follow a methodology or um, I suppose a plan a template to be able to get from where you are to where you need to be or is it just guess here guess there or hypothesis here let's try that or is there something a bit more fundamental in that? Yeah, I, it's a great question. And I think it definitely starts with a plan. And of course, uh, when we talk about the customer experience, ultimately, that is every interaction that a, a customer can have with a brand. And the bigger the brand, the more touch points there are. And that is a very, very difficult job indeed. Requires a lot of planning, technology, data, uh, and, and ways of working internally. But it all starts with reviewing the most closely connected channels and what the best plus ones are. Remember, an old chief strategy officer of ours used to always talk about the plus one strategy. So if you've got one channel, what is the next place that you can start to connect that together to to make sensible decisions, make big impacts? And so where we always start as an analytics business is within the data and with digital analytics mm-hmm. and that's always got to be at the heart of of understanding because it allows you to see what customers are doing on the website and where there seems to be barriers and what they seem to be trying to do what seems to be helpful in uh, helping them to get there but also you can understand a lot about the customer themselves in you know with these different tools now there's lots of ways to self-identify uh, customers because there's you have quizzes on your site or because of the content they look at and you can start to to classify those so mm-hmm. that's that's really the foundation and we often talk about where else can you get diagnostic information where else can you start to think about the user experience and we spoke about from a search engine's perspective um, it's a bit more technical and it's a lot around um, site speed and the technical aspects of how quickly content loads so you can easily start to plug in seo as another channel to say this extends our understanding of how the site performs and how it delivers from a customer experience perspective. Um, and then SEO is actually where you can start to make those immediate changes. So if you can see the website loads too slowly, you can start to understand why and start to immediately change those. And that's not something you need to, to test because it's, it's fairly binary. But with SEO and with the user experience on page, you will start to have hypotheses of whether you need to change the names of headings, whether you need to have more text to describe your product or to describe your service whether you need to have less text and that's where we talk about seo going hand in hand with cro or or experimentation because although you're from an seo perspective trying to make a change for both the search engine and the user experimentation is where we can actually start to make sure that any changes we are making are not harmful to the users who are coming to the site. So experimentation really uh, takes the hypotheses that we've got from an SEO perspective and hypotheses that we have from a, a digital analytics perspective on where we think the, the, the website 
um, or app could be improved and then start to make sure that we are making the right decisions by testing those. And, and that power is really in the synergy of those three disciplines coming together. Is there any one that's more important than the other, do you think? There's, there's not an order of importance per se, but I think it's about uh, the order of the process that is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's going to depend on a brand's maturity and where they are now. So we work with plenty of clients who've got lots of ideas on things that they want to test and just want to dive straight in and, and just test the things that uh, they're, they're guessing may work better, which is better than not testing at all. But it's it's mm-hmm. much, much better to start with the data, as I said. So we find that data-driven hypotheses are about twice as likely to lead to a statistically significant result. They're more likely to yield a winning variation, and that means that we are more likely to learn what works well. So we would always uh, suggest that you start with uh, the data and, and see where that leads you in terms of what you need to do. Uh, and I say SEO is often a standalone discipline, or it often is, is talked about with paid search under this under this broad run banner of search but there's no point rolling out changes from an seo perspective as i say which help search engines but harm the conversion rate so so i think that needs to be done simultaneously and what you'll find as you start to join up these disciplines the uh, the relative importance and the order of, of what you're doing will flex so you'll do a big insights piece, you'll do a big mm-hmm. user journey analysis. And, and that, at that point, analytics is the most important thing. And then as you move into making some decisions around what to test, uh, SEO and, uh, did, and the CRO side of things start to become more important. And, you, you know, analytics is there to monitor the results of tests. So that order of process, I think, is uh, more pertinent than order of importance. Because you mentioned a little earlier about acquisition being, you know, the driving force for many companies. How does that fit in? Does that fit in as an adjunct to SEO or is it something that is just a kind of a quick fix to get people to your site? Well, I mean, the paid media world is incredibly linked. And as I say, when we talk about customer experience, there's 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 lots of the channels you can you can bucket all of your paid media into something. You can have your CRM. You've got the, the on-site experience. You've got all of the offline channels. So paid media is an incredibly important aspect of the customer experience. And it goes back to the, the point I made around symmetrical messaging and helping to mm-hmm. smooth a user's landing effectively onto the website. So the paid media world can stand to gain a lot by also working with the experimentation team and making sure that um, the landing pages are, are well optimized uh, and indeed personalized relative to the cohorts of users that you're speaking to and their interests. And the great thing about the experimentation world and what I really love about it is that it is a uh, accelerator to all of the other channels. So if you improve the bounce rate on your landing page and you improve the number of people who go through the site to complete the actions that that they want and that you want them to, you will increase the effectiveness of your paid media, you will increase the effectiveness of your CRM campaigns, mm-hmm. um, and obviously you'll, you'll make a lot of friends along the way. A question that I've asked a couple of guests on my podcast is one that says, do you feel that companies need to reallocate ad spend to acquire better technologies and their expertise in the whole customer experience element? Yeah, well, um, firstly, I'm biased there, so... <laughs> <laughs> Could very easily go with just a, a straight yes. Um, but the, the reallocation of ad spend, again, I think it goes back to priorities and it goes back to where you're seeing um, effective spend. So on the one hand, 
as I say, any incremental uh, percentage points you add to your conversion rate will improve the ROI of your marketing or the rest of your marketing. Um, so in, in many respects, get the website working as hard as possible before you pump a lot of money into these um, paid media channels. But knowing uh, how businesses work and from a common sense perspective, a lot of businesses will be running with large paid media budgets already. And it becomes a, a point, I think, of diminishing returns. So that's a, a question to, for each client to look at uh, from their own media's performance perspective to say well mm -hmm. we know that there's a, a kind of a minimum amount that we can invest and if we invest at that and we get a very healthy roi um, and we could continue to invest more money or try different channels but actually where do we start to think optimizing the landing page and getting the conversion rate of the website up higher will pay off better because we'll get incremental revenue so you know would would i recommend that if brands are spending over a million pounds on advertising a year, but not investing in landing page optimization, you know, should they, should they be doing something there? Yeah, definitely. Um, is it worth spending six figures on a complex personalization tool and, and a bunch of services? Um, if you've not done some of the basics, then, then no. One of the things that, that um, I suppose it's petering out a little bit now is this whole question of web development, web experimentation, all this sort of thing was kind of thrown a little bit of a spanner in the works with the, the implementation of GA4, where Google have kind of changed the rule set, if you like, for, for doing analytics. Has that taken away a lot of the impact that you're trying to be able to develop from a experimentation process and things like that? Are people just have been too busy doing sorting out, getting a house in order, I suppose? Yes. I mean, GA4 has definitely, definitely dominated the conversation for a while now. I think it's always been the case to a degree. So I remember that when when I first started to to get into this world in 2010, uh, I'm not a, a developer, I'm not um, a technical person when it comes to the setup of these digital analytics tools myself. And I remember getting access to my first client's Google Analytics and going, great, I'm going to go and, and start analyzing the data. And you always need to start with uh, an audit or a check of the data. And there is nearly always something wrong with the data uh, or if there's not something wrong it's probably more common there's a lot more that you could have set up so it's always been the case that anytime we speak to a client and the initial purpose of the conversation is to focus on improving the customer experience or running a b tests or just running an insights piece on the user journey or a particular part of the user journey uh, unfortunately or fortunately depending on what you like it always goes back to well, what states your data in and do we need to do anything there so what ga4 uh, has done in that sense has been a very big uh, kind of rock that needs to be moved because as you say everyone has had to consider what to do whether to make the switch because it is really more of a switch than it is a simple upgrade it's a, it's a fairly different tool in the way that the tracking works and the interface looks do they move to ga4 do they move to an alternative? Um, and that has been a, a big focus for a lot of the clients that we've been speaking to. And it's meant that things like the, the sunsetting of Google Optimize, which is now just about a month away at the end of September, yeah. is uh, really paled in comparison. There's been a lot more of a focus and a lot more noise about GA4 because it's on so many more websites. Um, yeah. that, that has got a little bit lost. Um, and of course, it also depends on how big the organization is. So 
we work with some uh, organizations where one person is responsible for for both sides of things and and they are the uh, brands that have been most impacted by GA4 because they want to get the tool set up and they want to get their team trained and they want to have confidence in the data um, and so it's really taken up their their focus and they've maybe put some of the testing on the back burner whereas in some larger organizations where the teams are are a bit separated out you know GA4 is one team's problem <laughs> and not and not another team so um, it does feel like we're reaching the the kind of or over the hump or certainly coming close to to um that being uh, the big focus has been in the last couple of months feels like uh, clients are more comfortable in ga4 and that distraction is now starting to to move into the rear view mirror hopefully that's good just come back to the whole aspect of this kind of process that you've gone through which is digital analytics plus seo plus experimentation drives conversion I think many of the larger organisations are already doing some of that, if not all of that. But smaller brands must find it difficult to be able to afford the time and the resources and the effort to make that move kind of effective. If resources are tight, do you think it's better for them to do one thing well, say SEO, or all of the other things that you've mentioned previously, but to a lesser degree? Well, I I would say that because they're so interlinked, it's it's a, a little bit similar to what I said before. I think you want to be doing um, a bit of all of it because they are mutually beneficial, but they do serve slightly different purposes. So if you take something like making changes to the website, you either test those changes or you don't. Uh, I've seen a lot of people talking recently about this Harvard Business Review meta-analysis. It found uh, over 10,000 experiments that you know, 90% of the time nine out of 10 times, the change that was made to the site didn't do anything at all, didn't do anything positive or really anything negative. So that's just massive. So there's a lot of organizations who will be investing in developing their website uh, that should be testing as a matter of course, because otherwise they're you know, very possibly just throwing money away. So that feels to mm-hmm. me like every organization that is investing in their website, which is going to be a very very high proportion should be doing the testing side of things as i said we know from the testing um uh, backlog and we we in my last company and and now with hook flash as well we have a, a testing backlog where we basically store the results of every test we don't care about the, the brand but we want to know what the test was where did it run was it based on data or not what impact did it have was it statistically significant and we store that and we can start to understand these trends um and be- because we we d- we have done that, um, and we have seen the importance of data driven testing, that is then sort of daisy chained on from my last point. So, any organisation that's developing their website should be doing testing. Any organisation that's doing testing should ideally be doing a degree of data analysis to mm-hmm. inform that. And that can be on site surveys. That can be using tools like GA4 or Adobe Analytics or Mixpanel that are a bit more aggregated. Or it can be the, the kind of full stories, hot jars, content squares, where you're getting some session replay and you get the heat maps and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. So, again, I'm going to advocate for that. And then and the final point there, which is um, very much around SEO, is if you're going to make changes to the website to improve the user experience, you, you also want to understand uh, that, that SEO impact. And so something as simple as adding a widget to the site, uh, because you either you, you believe that um, 
adding something that says this many people are looking at this product right now or this many people bought this product in the last week you think that is a as a persuasive technique that urgency or that scarcity message is going to work better so you decide to invest in a plugin to improve the conversion rate of the, of the site and improve the user experience um, you want to be mindful of what impact that has from an seo perspective because you know how much does that slow the page load time down by and does that impact your seo side of things so again it, it it's a daisy chain that it bleeds into this and I, I think there can be a perception that all of this is very expensive but but as i said um there's lots of tools available and many of them are very low cost or free um and then you know, whether you can coordinate a team internally or work with an agency on a proof of concept these things don't have to be tens of thousands of pounds a month they can be much more um, affordable and, and well structured to start to do the right things early on um, and build the foundations for bigger and more sophisticated programs as, as those smaller businesses hopefully grow. There's an old, and I can't remember, a Greek philosopher that said that there's the only constant is change. And I think over the last two years, perhaps even 18 months, there's been far more change in this experimentation world um, that we live in so we've got the implementation of ga4 we've got google optimize being sunsetted and now we've got chat gpt hanging over the uh, the the heads of lots of marketers and content creators that are thinking actually is that going to do me out of a job what are your thoughts on chat gpt well yeah it's fascinating isn't it um interestingly enough i was chatting to a couple of the colleagues yesterday about it and it feels like it was such a um, there was such a spike in talking about AI and ChatGPT even just six, four, six months ago. And, and mm -hmm. there seems to be a little bit less chat already as maybe people have played with it enough and, and kind of uh, come up with some silly ditties about colleagues or friends. <laughs> and, and I know that's what I did. Um, from a professional perspective, I think there's there's clear applications in my view for tools like ChatGPT and, and generative AI uh, in the experimentation and the sort of customer experience space. And there are, also areas where I think it's less suitable. Um, so this idea of just being able to churn out lots of content using something like ChatGBT um, and, and does that impact your SEO feels to me like uh, something that the search engines will cotton onto pretty quickly and, and brands who are just using these tools to create a load of content to, to look more relevant for certain terms will... Um, presumably not benefit as well. So Google's always been very good at closing loopholes uh, around SEO. You know, there's a lot of black hat techniques around keyword stuffing or cloaking that have come to the fore and Google has found ways to penalise or to not value um, websites that are doing that. So I think that's quite likely to happen, that if there is a, too much content that clearly is written only by these um, AIs, then there's there's even just a, a basic lack of effort from that brand on trying to create value for the consumer. So I can imagine that that... Sorry, 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 Dirk. I think Google are looking at an AI watermark, aren't they? Um, to be able to put that stuff that they find, they can just watermark with this. This has been generated by AI, AI technology. Yes, that's actually... So I got a notification on my watch yesterday when we were at the pub. That, that That's what sparked our conversation about uh, AI um, yesterday. <laughs> so I think that feels... Eminently possible that the search engines are able to do that. And from a common sense perspective, uh, again, it, it kind of always comes down to, is that valuable for the, for the consumer? And some fairly uh, vanilla content 
that's spat out by an AI is probably not. So I think that may be uh, an area where it's less applicable. In an area where I think it is uh, interesting, and I've not seen too many technologies that are utilising this yet, is in this area of being more personal, delivering a better customer experience, and in, in personalisation, is how can AI be used to create more uh, ads, more web pages, more content, which are suitable for different users. And that's where there'd be more uh, brand input into the, the, the creation of the sort of template, but the AI would help to speed up the ability to, to create um, some of these variations that would allow you to be more personal to users. Because again, when we talk uh, about customer experience, well, that naturally leads into is actually getting into the world of personalization, uh, which is a very, very big topic, of course. Um, but one of the big barriers to personalization is being able to create assets, whether they're ads or web pages or, or something else, that speak to the different groups of users uh, in the most appropriate way. So I think there's an, there's an angle there where some tools will start to uh, use AI to, to support with that because that's a kind of clear problem and there's a, a clear way that the AI can help. Um, as a solution. So just taking almost back to the, the first conversation we had um, when we talked about um, an impactful experience losing customers, this may not be within your remit of customer experience, but once you've lost a customer, how easy, it to, how easy is it to get them back and what tactics can be employed to regain their trust? Well, I think the really important thing with the point like that is why did you lose them? You know, how significant was it? And and what relationship did you have with them? So if there's a, a data breach you know, with, a, with your bank you know, or an organization that holds sensitive information about you, then you would think that you know, falls into the category of very, very difficult to, to get them back. Um, yeah. If you're more of a uh, either kind of a commodity or you're, you're a, a consumer's... Um, mobile phone provider or, or a, a retailer and you've lost someone because of a poor experience you know maybe you um, keep spamming them with the product that you, that, that the person bought from from you or um, you try to personalize in a way that is inappropriate it's going to be more possible to win them back certainly but i think it's going to take time and i think a lot of it is is coming back to the key principles that we've been discussing already which is understanding what consumers' expectations are. And a lot of the time, consumers' expectations are quite simple. They just want to be treated like a person and they want a brand mm -hmm. to understand um, understand them and be cognizant of the relationship that they've had with the, with the brand previously um, and try to understand a bit about their intent and what, what is an appropriate um, message to give them. Then deliver on that. Make sure that you are um, meeting that expectation and not overstepping. So not, again, um, spamming people with inappropriate messages, not um, trying to go too far in terms of personalization. And then I think the important bit that's really quite difficult to do is to, is to kind of know when to speak and when to listen and then when to take action. So you've understood that a user's come to the site. Maybe they've bought, uh, bought a product from, from you. And so it's not appropriate to start to, spamming with cross-sell right now but thinking about when is it appropriate to drop that consumer an email or a, or, or, or through another channel to say uh we know that you, you know you've bought this product um 
here's how you get the best out of it or here's how to protect it depending on what the product is try to be uh, anticipatory in what might be useful for a consumer um, and show up be proactive and add value so i think that's they're very human principles that are just quite difficult to do um, between yeah. a brand and a consumer because it requires you know as i said uh, right at the top the combination of of data and analytics uh, the, of technology to be able to execute it and on teams to to be working together to um, to achieve it as well i think that's that's a completely different topic that we should, would be interesting to go down but we haven't got the time today because <laughs> i think that there's there's so many disjointed elements in organizations which for instance returns versus sales just don't seem to be bolted together but i think that we are all trying to be able to do the same thing, which is deliver a great customer experience, one which is repeatable, mm -hmm. but not boring. You don't want to be bland. You don't want to be sycophantic. You want to be somewhere where actually the customer enjoys being there. And I think John Lewis had that sort of thing in its retail stores. Not sure whether it's got quite the same aspect on its online, but it's a challenge that continues to go. And I think, uh, as you mentioned in one of your white papers, I think it's about the CEO of Dell saying that customer experience is a new battleground. I absolutely agree with that and have agreed with that for some time because you win or lose customers based upon their experience with you. Yeah. And I think there are lots of companies that don't quite get it in that clear, defined way. They just kind of think, well, we'll just get more customers. We'll just keep churning that. We'll get add more people in, do more um, PPC. Exactly. And uh, and that goes that goes back to one of the other stats that we've already referenced here, which is how much more expensive it is to keep on acquiring customers. You know, six, seven, eight times more expensive than it is to deliver on that personal experience and build a good customer experience that means you continue to keep and engage and enjoy a good relationship with your existing customers, because the evidence is there that loyalty leads to uh, greater engagement, greater revenue per customer than the average new customer that comes in and is, a, is perhaps a little bit more fickle. So, Ollie, thank you very much for your time. It's been a really interesting discussion. I, I think we could go on perhaps for another 40 minutes or whatever. But um, it's been one of those topics which continues to deliver. It's the gift that keeps on giving, I think. But there is still a lot of people out there that haven't quite got it. And the more that we do to try and educate people around what's the best practice, what's good things to do, what's the, the best way forward, um, the better. But thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much for having me, John. It's a really uh, enjoyable conversation. Mm -hmm.